At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world of fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. Well, the story is told of a dad who had his kids look for a gift in a scavenger hunt type of style where he left them clues and they went around the house after they had opened up all the other gifts looking for what he called the greatest gift. And one clue led to the next that led to the next and then finally there was a box. And when they opened up that box, what was in it was a Bible, a family Bible. It was that dad's way of letting his kids know that the greatest gift given to us uh, is given to us from heaven. It is the word of the living God that points us to the way of truth. How many thank God for his word? Today, I want to invite you to join me in a particular reading, a particular passage of scripture written by one of the earliest followers of Jesus. It's the apostle Paul. He's um, one of the writers of many of the books of the New Testament, and he writes this letter to the Galatian church. And we're going to look at chapter four of the letter to the Galatians, and you can uh, look on your screen. And one of the things that I love about this passage of scripture and about the moment we just shared together on stage is it's a reminder to me of what the church is when she's at her best. What the church is when we're at our best is more than just some community service agency, more than just a collection of people who gather together but are disconnected otherwise. What the church is when she is at her best is a family, is a spiritual family. The Bible calls the church the household of faith. And today I want to talk to you about how you and I become a part of the spiritual family of God. You see, that is why Jesus has come. Throughout this month, we've been studying the significance of the coming of the Son of God into the world. He declares himself to be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. What does it mean for God to be with us? When God enters into our lives, when Jesus is present in our lives, we have studied how he brings peace, how he brings joy, how he reconciles even the relationships that's been broken. But this morning, what I want to look at is how the coming of the Son of God allows us to be brought near and to become a part of the family of God. And I want you to experience that. I think we all know what it's like to feel distant or disconnected from our family. Maybe geographically, maybe this morning, even as we gather, there is family you're thinking about that are miles and miles away that you're wishing you could be closer to. 
but maybe even more difficult than that, it's not geographical distance. Some of us know what it's like to experience relational distance because of a disagreement or an argument or maybe even, worst of all, spiritual distance. Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to overcome all of those barriers. That when we put our faith and our trust in him, he's able to bridge the gap. And in particular, the gulf that is keeping us from intimacy and closeness with God and experiencing the love of being a member of the spiritual family of God. I want to read just the first seven verses of Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter four. He says, I mean this, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner, the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time comes, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, Paul is uh, echoing, and you can tell as you read this, there is a deep yearning in his heart for us to embrace the redemption of God that he offers through us through Jesus. He writes this to this original audience who thought that somehow they could earn a right into God's family. That by keeping the law, that by keeping rules, that they could enter into relationship. But what I love about the Christian faith that I find utterly unique and different than every other religion known to man is that what we have is more than just a set of rules or laws that are very hard or difficult to keep. What Jesus declares is that the law was simply given to help us to recognize our need for a savior. Not for us to be able to earn our way to salvation. No, what he frees us from is some works-based righteousness, some thought that somehow if I perform enough or do enough that I can earn God's approval. I want you to know this, that he wants to free you from the hamster wheel of performance. And he wants you to know that he loves you because he has chosen to love you. Every other person in our lives has some form of conditional love for us. But how many thank God for the unconditional love of Jesus? How many praise God for that? Maybe you notice that there's a few things that Paul addresses in these seven short verses. The first thing he addresses is what keeps us from being part of the family of God. What's caused distance between you and God, me and God? Well, Paul sums it up in this one word, and that is slave. He says in verse number one, I mean that the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave. A slave to what? Well, he goes on in verse number three to say that we are enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. 
Paul says that every single one of us are a slave to sin. And it is this bondage, if you will, that keeps us from relationship with God. It is not that God does not want a relationship with us. It is simply that we become imprisoned, imprisoned to our passions, imprisoned to our pursuits, imprisoned to our own bad choices and addictions. And and when you hear this term elementary, what Paul wants us to think of is a height differential. He uses this analogy throughout his writings that um, the elementary things are the base things or the lower things instead of the heavenly things, which are the higher things. And what Paul is saying is that instead of us being a prisoner to the base or elementary things, what he wants us to do is to rejoice in the heavenly things, to wake up every morning with our focus on the things of heaven, his love for us, his grace to us, the purpose and the meaning that Jesus brings into my heart and yours when we have surrendered our lives to him. That's what Paul wants us to experience. He puts it this way, it's the love of Christ that compels us. He wants you to have meaning and purpose and to be driven by the love of Christ with the divine mission. That's the purpose of his divine intervention that we call Christmas. But yet he knows that for me and my heart, for yours as well, that we are so often prone to being enslaved to the elementary things of this world. Now, when you think of the elementary things of this world, the base things of this world, we can often think about the visible sins that often destroy our lives, maybe drugs or alcohol or some other addiction. But Paul is thinking much broader than that. He's thinking about the idols that we often give our hearts over to, things like uh, the politics of this world. You know, we can become enslaved to the politics of this world, thinking that somehow some elected official is going to bring us the redemption that we're hoping for, will be the Messiah. It was the late, great Chuck Colson, who worked in the White House for many years, who's famous for saying that salvation will never fly in on the wings of Air Force One. How many can say amen to that? Don't get me wrong, Washington, D.C. has power, but how many know that heaven has all power? That all power is in his hands. So participate in this world, but don't become a slave to it. It's Paul's admonishment. I can become a slave, not only to the politics of this world, but I, and maybe you have before, become a slave to maybe even our professions. The pursuit of career success that seems to be so obsessive, the climbing of the corporate ladder, and the next thing we are, a prisoner to our professions or our academic pursuits or some other standard by which we think we can earn approval or status, Paul says, Jesus wants to free you from that. Or maybe it's our possessions, the pursuit of things that hold our hearts so tightly and the fear of losing those things. Paul says, Jesus has come to free us from that. 
so that we will be no longer slaves, not just to drugs or alcohol or our addictions, but, but no longer slaves to our professions or our politics or our possessions, that we would guard the passions of our heart to make sure that none of them become an idol and take the seat of worship that belongs to Christ and Christ alone. He comes to free us from our bondage. Well, he doesn't stop there, but he says how this freedom is experienced. He wants us to trust in God's saving action. Look at verse number four. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. You know, earlier in this passage, he used an analogy really an estate planning analogy. For years, I was a financial advisor before I became a pastor, and I helped a lot of people to work through estate planning. And he uses this analogy that as long as the heir is a child, they differ nothing from a slave. Those of you who have gone through estate planning, you know what it's like to have to pick a a trustee to handle your affairs. And hopefully one of your children are old enough and mature enough to be able to handle things if something should happen to you. It's not always the case. You know, my mom has this saying that God gives you some kids to keep you praising and some kids to keep you praying. I'll let you figure that out. But hopefully you have somebody who can handle your estate, but you get the analogy that that as long as my children or your children are minors, they can't experience the full benefits of the inheritance. They got to grow up. They got to mature to be able to experience that. Until then, they're under the tutelage of guardians and managers. And and so it is that the law for Israel and for us, it treats us that way. But if we want to experience the fullness of the inheritance, we got to grow up in our faith. We got to trust Christ. We got to put no confidence in the flesh. We have to trust. Trust that he did what? Trust that he came to redeem. Paul uses this word redeem. And that word redeem is an economic term. It means to purchase, to to buy back. We were prisoners to sin. We were under the debt of sin. Maybe you know what it's like to be up under crushing debt that has a lot of zeros after it. Well, that's what happens every time we violate God's way, his will, his word, which we do so often. I know I've done so often. We are getting deeper and deeper into the debt of sin And it's one of those debts that if we could work a thousand lifetimes, we couldn't pay it off from our own works. No, we needed God's intervention through Jesus Christ. Heaven didn't need Christmas. We needed Christmas. So Jesus comes into the world so that he can live a sinless life and go to the cross and pay the sin debt that we could not pay to wipe our slates clean so that we can be pronounced free, that you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer in debt to sin anymore, but we can live in freedom to the glory of God. Now, one of the mistakes we often make is to confuse freedom for autonomy, but there's a difference between freedom and autonomy. The word autonomy comes from two Greek words that are put together, auto and nomos, no Auto, meaning no, or nomos, meaning law, without law. 
And many of us think that freedom is not having law at all, but that's not freedom. Freedom to get yourself into bondage is not freedom at all. Freedom to pursue your passions untethered, unhindered, only gets us into a hamster wheel of bad choices and bad decisions. And maybe you're here today and you know what it's like to be on that hamster wheel. But Jesus offers us something greater than autonomy. He offers us freedom in him to be governed by the law of Christ, which is love. To love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. When you have that freedom, then you are free. Scripture says that whom the Son of Man is set free is what? Free indeed. We can experience that freedom, friends. We can experience what it is to be a part of the family of God if we trust in him. Paul was writing to Israel because he did not want them to trust in their own actions, in their own merits, in their own performance to earn salvation. We can't earn it, but God gives it freely. Well, he goes on and closes this passage by saying these words, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There's an inheritance. And this word, the scriptures tell you all about your inheritance. It's been given to you so that you might know your identity in Jesus. So that you might know the promise that you have in him. But Paul uses two words. Redeem, which is an economic word, to literally purchase someone or to buy a hostage back. He pictures a hostage uh, being held in a prison. That's what sin was for us. But Jesus paid that price to let us go free. But he switches from a financial term to a family term. And maybe you noticed a family term. It's adoption. It's adoption. To be brought from afar off into a family. You know, one of the beautiful ways that God has written me and my wife's uh, family love story is that we have been blessed to have three kids by adoption, three kids biologically, and then we told the church, stop praying for kids. God answered that. We got, we got a, a, a quiver full. And we thank God for each one of them. But you know, there is no distinction between my adopted kids and my biological kids. All of my kids have equal right to uh, the inheritance. They have equal right, as Paul would put it, to the estate. They are equally and full heirs of the promise. And so it is for you and I that because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near. And now we have full right and full access to God. Because of his love, his mercy, and his grace, you don't have to feel far off. You don't have to feel distant from him. But he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The good news of Christmas, friends, is that the greatest gift that you and I will receive probably won't be under a box tomorrow under that tree, but the greatest gift we receive is the full right and access we have to be a part of the family of God by faith in the Son of God, and today he invites us to the table. How many praise God for that? 
So I want you to know today that no matter where you are, you can be a part of the family of God. One of the worst things that we can do so often and we do it, I've been guilty of it, maybe you have as well, is to disqualify ourselves from God's grace. To say, I've messed up too bad. I've missed a mark too much. You don't know my past. I've blown it. And there's no way I can be redeemed. And you're right. I don't know your past, but I do know this. There is no sin on earth that is greater than what he did on Calvary. And if you put your trust and your faith in him, you can experience the same freedom, the same redemption as anyone who ever has because the blood of Jesus is just that powerful and the love of God is greater than the sins of men. And how many praise God for that truth, amen? So today, I want to invite you to be a part of the family of God. And we're going to close with a beautiful worship song. And we're going to do one of my favorite traditions on Christmas Eve, the candle lighting ceremony. I'll explain that in just a moment. But what God wants today is to give you a gift, the gift of salvation. And if today you have not surrendered your life to him, I implore you, I urge you, don't just enjoy our time together, but make a decision, act upon it. Invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Today can be what you and I long for the most. You know, the older I get, the less I want things that money can buy. When you're a kid, you want the latest toy. When you get a little bit older, maybe you want to go on a shopping spree. A little bit older, maybe it's a vacation. But how many have gotten to the point now where the things you want most in life, money can't buy? How many have experienced what I'm talking about? Today, what Jesus offers you is something money can't buy, and that is a fresh start. Today, if you trust in him, the past can be gone, and he can make all things new. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.